This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! As always, we want to thank Central Works, the New Play Theater, for sponsoring The Yay, reinventing theater one play at a time. And when I say we have a special guest, uh, speaking of Central Works, we have Jan Zweifler. I want to, am I pronouncing your name right? V.V. Zweifler. Zweifler. Normie's got it. He's one of the few. <laughs> Jan Zweifler. Yeah, you're, uh, I would say you're one of the co, or I guess, are you an artist? Do you call, I know you're a member of Central Works. Are you an artistic director? Are you, um, we call what's ourselves, your title? We call ourselves co-directors, Gary Graves and I. We, we share all managerial, administrative, and artistic responsibilities. So we just co-direct. Right on. <laughs> and you've been doing it for a long, long time. You've been on the stage. You've been behind stage. I, I think, you know, you're, as far as administrative stuff and, you know, also occasionally uh, directing, you, you're pretty much, you have your hands on everything when it, when it involves Central Works, and you're one of the main reasons why it's so successful as it is. How long has Central Works been going on? Well, this is, I was going to say this was supposed to be, but it is. We're still hanging in there. Um, yeah. Our 30th season. Yeah. So, yeah, 1990 was when we were first founded. Wow, that's awesome. That is just fantastic. Norman, as I begin every podcast, how was your, your week? Week's always interesting. I, um, I did a live modeling gig this week, and I did a Zoom modeling gig last night. Um, I, my pirate character has become my joy. <laughs> yeah, and I got that. an eye patch for him, so I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the Zoom picture. I mean, not Zoom, but Facebook pictures. And the it's, Facebook it's picture, cool. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, and uh, then a friend of mine, because of my birthday, a friend of mine, um, old friend, one of the first kids I met when I came to California, um, he drew, he sent me a photo of him done up as a pirate with a peg leg, a real peg leg. He is missing half of his leg. Hmm. And so he, he has a photo of himself done up as a pirate. And I was like, okay, you, you went farther than I'm going to go with it. <laughs> Talk about method. Um, and you voted. Thank you. Very good. I voted as well. Yes. Oh, you voted. When? Uh, I did the mail-in voting, and I think a couple of days ago, I got the email back saying that my voting has been registered, and, you know, it's it's official, so I don't have to worry about it being in a, a trash bin or a dumpster or whatever. Right. You know, the, the conspiracy, you know, the Trumpsters always say. Um, Jan, See what you... the president did for us? We have secure voting this year, thanks to the president. Yeah, exactly. Jan, have you voted yet? I have not voted yet, but I fully intend to. I vote by mail every year, um, and I have my little stack of uh, all mm -hmm. the paperwork and various things that I want to look at, but um, I haven't gotten around to it because I've been writing letters. Oh, there, <laughs> there you go. Protest letters, letters uh, yeah. to Congress. Uh, well, it's letters to supposedly swing voters that are just, it's, it's not supposed to be in one direction or the other. You're just supposed to really urge people to vote. To register and vote, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's, uh, today is a big mailing day. It's, I, I, I use this website called Vote Forward, and you can sort of adopt people, and they give you their name and address and everything, and you send, you, they've got a form letter, but you write, you write a few sentences of your own to, to personalize mm -hmm. it. Um, and then today is the big send, so I'm sending 30 letters out. Right so, on, that's fantastic. Mailbox. You know, people yeah. need to be civically involved. I mean, that's what it's gonna take to make any change. More Speaking of which, I think today there's a massive women's march in D.C. to oh. obviously protest um, Amy. Um, yeah, Amy uh, Barrett. 
Uh, I haven't been paying attention to her. I haven't even been looking at the hearings because, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's not going to do any good. You know, it's she's going to be confirmed. And I feel you so just bad. did something that I like. I think I'm going to steal it. What's that? Just call her Amy Barrett. No ACB. Amy yeah, Barrett. yeah, yeah. Um, I listened to one podcast and they started calling her Amy COVID Barrett. And I was like, OK, that's just way too much. That's rude. <laughs> but in any case, uh, yeah, so there's Women's March going on right now. And, uh, you know. All you can do is really protest. You know, that's that's about the best you can do. And vote. Yeah, that's right, of course. And vote. And, of course, get the word out. Um, there are also other things going on. Um, more America. I read this in Washington, Wall Street Journal. More Americans are renouncing their citizenship. Thirty seven thousand since wow. 2010. Does that surprise either one of you? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have a whole bunch of friends who are looking at Canada, so it doesn't really. Surprise. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, expatriates. I mean, I have a couple of friends uh, who have, uh, you know, they visited New Zealand. They there's even, I think there's a country in Africa who are actively campaigning for Black people to, to go go back to Africa. Um, I just I don't know. I think it's a little extreme. I, yeah. I know that's Trump really would like that. Well, I, I think it's part of the the larger GOP strategy has been to turn people off. So, because I don't see what you gain out of renouncing your citizenship, does anybody really care? It, they're still going to ask you where you came from. They're still going to think of you as an American. Yeah, yeah, and also you have no idea what your quality of life will be. You know where you are, uh, depending upon where you are. Well, there's, there's some good stuff. Hmm? I mean, your parents were expats in Mexico. They were for a long time. They came back for the medical, which is weird to me, but <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, no, they were. They, But they, that whole community of people, for the most part, nobody is uh, denying their citizenship. They're just not living here. <laughs> like, it was a big thing. A lot of people had post office boxes in San Diego. So they would just come up, go across the border, get their mail, and that way they didn't have to have a, an address outside of the U.S. So, I yeah, I don't know. And then I uh, went and talked to a retirement guy last year. And, uh, and I missed most of the conversation. But while they were waiting for everybody to get there, they were talking about all the places you can go in the world without losing your citizenship and live very comfortably for less than $15,000 a year. And I was like, including buying a home in some of these places. Wow. I'm like, okay, so that's possible. But I really think, you know, that's, if you're going to say, if you think the country is just going to hell, yeah, why wait? Get out. But if you recognize that this is their strategy and now more than ever is the time to kind of push back. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I don't know. I just feel very funny. I mean, patriotism, I mean, obviously you can go to the extreme, you know, the extreme patriotism. That's why we have these, you know, rich boys. I mean, what? no, proud boys. They call them proud, boys. proud boys. Yeah, they're not rich. <laughs> no, I got, I got, you know, the name confused with a rapper, but the proud boys. And it's, you know, that's the extreme of patriotism. We should be proud of your country, but uh, obviously, you should be able to challenge your country as well. And, you know, that's why we have protests and that's why we have democracy. You know, everyone's not supposed to agree, but we're supposed to have these, you know, meaningful conversations and discussions and disputes or whatever to right. try to balance things out. Well, and recognize the desires of the different people and try to find some way to where reasonable com accommodate. Right. 
Right, exactly. And well, the Norman, only... and I, Norman and I came up in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there was a whole lot of discussion about America, love it or leave it. And, you know, young right. Americans were burning flags, but also saying, no, I want to change it. I don't want to leave right. it. I want to change it. Right, exactly. I know. It's insane that that conversation has been going on for 50 years. And people will still go back to that. Well, if you don't like it here. And I'm like, are you really that stupid? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the last bit of news that I have, uh, Bernard Cohen passed away. So Bernard Cohen, uh, this is very, this is into civil rights, but he was the attorney for um, the Loving case. And the Loving oh. case was very famous. Right. I think it was in 1972, yep. uh, where basically uh, making loving interracial marriage illegal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Loving versus Virginia. But, you know, as a, uh, the ruling of this case made it you know, a worldwide, I mean, not worldwide, but nationwide uh, that you can, inter, you can marry um, interracially. Interracial. So he, yeah, he passed, he passed away this week. Um, one the last... weird thing to me about that is once I realized the date, my folks got married a couple of years before that, you know, and that was like, okay, that's so, you know, for us, it just felt like this guy feels like a good fit for our family. My mom thinks he's a good fit for our family. So they got married. To realize that at the same time, on the other side of the country, they were actually fighting about this in court. It's like, wow, we just sort of took it for granted. It's, you know, who cares? Yeah, because certain states allowed it, but it was not a federal, uh, federal ruling until right. the Loving case. The other uh, thing that's remarkable about that case is the name. The fact that yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. That. <laughs> apropos, apropos. Well, uh, but you're skipping one other big, or maybe you're saving oh, it for, for the it. end of the broadcast. No, 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 no. go for Hutchinson. it. Hutchinson. John Hutchinson. He didn't. No, he. Please don't tell me he passed away. I thought that's who passed away this week. Yes. Was it, who did you post? I thought it was John P Hutchinson. No, no, no. That was Charlie Larigo. Larigo, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. It's fine. No, but I'm I'm glad that you brought that up, Charlie Larigo. I'm glad so. that you corrected me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No, that would have given me a heart attack. Uh, but no, Charlie Larigo. He is the uh, well. He never. He didn't want to call himself the artistic director of the Playwright Center for San Francisco, but really, he was the engine that really ran it. I mean, it's still going right. on now. But he was the heart and soul, and uh, we had him on. I forget what episode we had him on, but you know, he talked about his being in Alabama, his growing up in Alabama and his family being run out because his father who was a doctor wouldn't fire or, you know, get on a black man who was illegal, who was, um, I, I think his story was that uh, the black man was accused of making moves on a white woman. And right. um, the, his Charlie's father uh, refused to participate in any of that. And so he had to, they had to leave town. And I think they came to the Bay area. He was a Presbyterian minister. He left oh. the ministry to, uh, well, yeah, I mean, if we listen to the podcast, we'll hear, you know, his story again. And, uh, he had the playwright center and, you know, he pretty much touched every aspect of it. And, uh, unfortunately right. he passed away. Um, very rarely do we get to have interviews with individuals who are from what I call the greatest generation or the silent generation. That's a generation that was around when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was around that could hear. The, they remember the fireside chats. Him and right. John Hutchinson, I think they were all the only ones who are of that age. So mm -hmm. it's good to grab those interviews and listen to them before, you know, they pass away. So we want to, you know, give our give our um, our condolences, condolences. to. Yeah. To Playwright Center and to um, and to Charlie. 
with that said, um, Jan, I wanted to ask you, I mean, how optimistic are you? Two weeks from now, we're going to have an election. Uh, are you optimistic, pessimistic? How do you feel about She's writing yeah. letters. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> but I mean, are you up? I mean, are you upbeat or how, how do you feel? Uh, n- never upbeat. Never. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have enough trust in the system to, <laughs> to take it there. Um, I, I'm um, cautiously optimistic, maybe. But, you know, look what happened last time. I mean, you know, everybody was insisting that there was no way that Clinton would lose. And of course she did. Uh, but to me, the other thing is um, it doesn't make any difference unless we can change the Senate. So, you know, that's, that's the thing that, that's where my concern is that we really need to, to change government as a whole. We can't, it, it's not about the presidency per se or exclusively. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm actually sort of optimistic. I mean, you know, we're going to win Arizona. That's um, the, uh, the astronaut who's going to win the Senate. And I'm hearing that, you know, in places like even Kansas, I heard, you know, yesterday that even Kansas is up for grabs, at oh. least as according to the polls, as far as the Senate is concerned. Even, I'm, I'm so hating pollsters these days, but yeah, yeah no. <laughs> there's a lot of optimism. Yeah. And even in uh, Kentucky, Mitch McConnell is on, you know, uh, I think the woman's name is McGrath who is uh, fighting against McConnell. So we have to, you know, keep hope alive and keep the fight going on. And Lindsey Graham, let's hear it for Jamie that, that's, that's right, that's yes. right. He's doing wonderfully. Yeah, he's yeah. doing well. Um, I wish I didn't get 10 emails from him a day, but I have given money. With oh, <laughs> I support maybe, it in maybe my I just small opted way. Out. What? I may have just opted out, but I'm not getting as much from him. I'm seeing it in every feed that I have. But it's um, the other guy, Warnock in uh, Georgia, who yesterday I literally got eight emails from different, supposedly different organizations, but they all, when I went to unsubscribe, were from him. And I was like, y'all are pissing me off. Yes, I want you to win. God, I want you to win. But Yeah, like if I get another email from or a snail mail from, I think, Lynn Mc, McElvaney, uh, she's the congresswoman um, for Oakland. And, um, and I'm, I, see, oh. I see her... I see her, uh, the, the oh, snail. for your there. area. Yeah, for my area. And I get the, you know, even on YouTube. I mean, you know, she has her ad, ads and I'm like, listen, I voted for you already. Okay. But I understand. I understand. You got, you got to try. So. Yeah. You, you can't well, say I'm going to get out and vote and then, and then it's fair <laughs> when they're like hassling you to vote. Right. Right. Exactly. So I, I try to, you know, take a proverbial chill pill and hope for the best. And in two weeks, you know, hopefully, you know, the sun will rise and, you know, we'll have a, uh, some resemblance of a democracy again. With that said, uh, Jan, Jan Zleifler, uh, let's get an origin story. Um, how did you get involved in theater? How did I get involved in theater? Um, well, I really started out as a dancer. Uh, I, Reg, you don't know this, but I grew up in the suburbs of DC. Oh, wow. Um, oh. What, what part? Bethesda. Bethesda, Maryland. Awesome. Bethesda, Maryland. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was there until 12, 13. It was like the, the, the year that, the summer that I turned 13 and we, we moved to California. But um, I started dancing. I was a ballet dancer at the age of like seven or eight and was taking it very seriously, actually. Um, uh, and then when I got into, it was junior high school. Um, I started getting interested in theater. Um, one, because I just thought it was cool. And the other, because uh, I suddenly had this growth spurt and 
became very physically awkward mm. <laughs> like six inches in six months or something like that wow um and so I, I became a little bit more insecure about my dancing although i continued and i've done pretty much every kind of dancing there is since then i've done south indian classical dance and i've done jazz and i've done modern and i've done a little bit of tap and you know so i i, I tried to be um pretty complete in that um but you know with dancing there was a time, I think when I was in college, that I was trying to decide what to do, which way to go. And um, dancing is expensive. <laughs> I mean, you constantly, if you talk to dancers, they'll always talk about taking class. You know, right. all dancers every day are taking class. And a lot of the time, that's literally, you're going somewhere where if you're not working and doing some sort of trade thing in their studio, you're paying for classes. So it's right. very, very time intensive and it's, actually kind of expensive um and it's a very 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 short-lived career so uh I, I i was already very interested in theater um and um so i decided that was kind of the focus that i was going to take when um, did you shift to theater or when did you start doing theater well i started doing theater like in junior high and high school um, uh -huh. but um a lot of that was more backstage stuff I, I was sort of I was interested in technical theater and stage management and stuff oh. like that which um was I mean I took acting classes too but I always I always sort of balanced it out a little bit of an interest in directing at that time too although um uh, mm -hmm. there wasn't much of an outlet for that uh and then um I moved up here for uh Cal I went to Berkeley and um oh so your family didn't move to the Bay Area no, my family moved to San Diego. My dad was oh, wow. uh, my dad was at UC San Diego. He he uh, he, he got hired by UCSD, and so mm -hmm. and so we we lived down there in La Jolla. Nice, a place that I couldn't get wait, wait to get out of <laughs> <laughs> San Diego in general. The Southern California in general. Just uh, I, from from the moment I arrived at like age thirteen, I was like dying to get away. And I graduated from high school a year early and came up here when I was 17 because I was like, get me out of there. On your own? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Damn. Um, Do you have any siblings? I have a sister who lives in Santa Fe. And uh, I had a brother, but he's, he's no longer with us. Um, mm -hmm. My sister's older. She's about three and a half years older. I am sorry to hear. Um, do you, are they at all involved in the arts? Uh, well, those who are surviving. Not, not, uh, not yes and no. My sister is not actively an artist, but she uh, has been involved with a lot of galleries and things like that. She's, mm -hmm. she's you know, she she uh, handles artists and artist stuff, and she sells it and things like that. So it's it's kind of kind of like that. Yeah, no, that's um, good. My mom was an interior designer, and then she actually was the one who started, she, she uh, started a couple of galleries that were, she referred to as contemporary crafts, but she would huh. um, be sort of like the agent for artists so that they could sell their work. Wow. No, I did not know that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, so what she, brought you to the Bay Area? You said Cal? Yeah. I, I mentioned earlier that um, I did some uh, Indian dance and there was when I was young when I was 14 is when I started that because a friend of mine from high school her mother was Indian and she was a dancer and she wanted her daughter to learn how to 
dance, but she could she knew she couldn't just teach her daughter. So she said, what she said to her daughter, do you have a couple of friends who might want to take classes and we'll have classes. So uh, I started learning what's called Bratnachim. And um, it's uh, and was very keenly interested in it. And um, my friend's mother, my teacher, uh, knew about a program in um, the Bay Area, which uh, was promoting Southeastern arts and music in general. And uh, there was a summer program that took place. They were using the Mills College campus yeah. in order, you know, th those for facilities in the summer. So I, I was able to come up with, um, with you know, under, under the, the uh, watch over of this friend's mother, of an adult, uh, oh, and spent okay. a summer up here. And then the following year, I spent a summer in Seattle with that same program. Um, but when I came to the Bay Area, I just fell in love with it. I just, for some reason, you know, I landed and I was home. So, um, so I, I was lucky. You came enough, back to the Bay. I was lucky enough to get into Cal out of high school, and um, I was interested in theater and auditioned for it. Got into their acting class, you know, the program, mm -hmm. uh, but um, I didn't really think that the, the department as a whole was that great. And I didn't think it was that much up my alley in terms of why I was going to college. So uh, I did not major in theater. I majored in something that I was sure was going to get me a profession as soon as I got out of, uh, out of school, which was anthropology. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a degree in anthropology? I my future with that. <laughs> um, Your degree is in anthropology? Yeah. Physical anthropology. <laughs> wow. No, I know when we uh, when we have these interviews a lot, Reg is always curious about people's training and if there were things, theater training specifically that you felt drawn towards or that seemed useful. Like method acting or I don't know, there's always some sort of a technique like the Meisner yeah. technique. Yeah, no, I, so, so I was, I was, I continued to take classes in the department and dance classes actually. They have, they actually have a great modern dance department, but um strangely, not strangely, just the way it was because the department was very small and clicky, I would like to say. Maybe it had something to do with my abilities as well, but I could not get into any school production. Right. I just couldn't. And um, no matter how, how much I auditioned. And then I had a friend who actually was from San Diego. He, he had transferred from UCSD, who mm -hmm. was in my acting class. And he said, you know what, just get out of there. Just, he, he said, I'm working at what's called the Berkeley Stage Company. I don't know, Norman, do oh. you remember that? No, yeah. Berkeley Stage Company. No, Berkeley where were they? Berkeley Stage Company. It was, it was uh, on, uh, God, what the hell is the street? Addison near Shattuck. Um, oh. And they had a beautiful little th theater there. That and this would have been the mid-80s? Mid, the mid eighties would would it be? No, this is the seventies still. Sorry, oh, okay. I'm, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it it ended up being the Freight and Salvage before they moved downtown. Right. That okay. Building, that yeah. building was originally the Berkeley Stage Company. Um, so I went down there and I I did an audition for they called it Wednesday Night One Act. They had this little one act program and they did a lot of new work. Uh, interestingly enough, I hadn't thought about that as my continuum. Um, mm -hmm. And um, this was in the days before cell phones and things like that. So I went home and I literally, as I was walking in the door, 
my phone was ringing and it was the, the director of one of these things asking me if I, if I wanted to do the show. It's nice because I had gotten to this place where my, my ego was just shot because I couldn't get right. anything. So I actually started working with them and I also um, started studying at Jean Shelton's school, which was ah. in Berkeley at the time. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It was there for at least 10, 10 15 years, I think, uh -huh. before they moved to the city. Um, and studied with Jean for a number of years. And uh -huh. I, do, I do have to say, Jean was very influential for me in terms of theater. I mean, I, I just, in, I, I kept, you know, in the early days when people start talking about all of these acting kinds of, uh, of, of conversations about beats and motivations and sure. actions. And, and it always seemed really mysterious to me. I mean, it was just like when somebody says, what, what's your action? Mm -hmm. you know? <clears throat> uh, um, right, I can't imagine a director asking you that. What's your um, action in this scene? Gene was great, because Gene was just like, no, honey, you want love, or, you know, whatever it was. She, she, right. she so demystified it for me. So I, I found that that was really refreshing and helpful. Um, it's funny, because she's usually associated with, like, the method school of acting, right? Right, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But from every everybody I've heard talk about her says that just really rooted in realism, just be real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that was really helpful to me. Um, and I was involved there for a long time. And then they moved to San Francisco and stayed with it for a little while. Um, but somewhere along the way, even as I was doing that, uh, I met, and I know you've heard her name, a woman named Ellen Sebastian Chang. Then oh, yeah. On Sebastian. Um, because I had a job at Berkeley Extension. And she, and she did, she, she walked in one day and I was like, I've seen you at Berkeley Stage Company, haven't I? And Ellen at that time was uh, working with uh, the Blake Street Hawkeyes. Right. Um, again, I Reg, this is probably precedes you. You may not know. Oh, oh that's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm enjoying listening but, to this story. But this was a, this, a very, very experimental company that um, included George Coates and Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Leonard Pitt, am I remembering that Lenny, correctly? Yeah, Lenny was with them, and uh, God, uh, there are some other names, but uh, um, sort of big names. And that I, young I, woman who went to Hollywood? Oh, wait, she went to Broadway and then went to Hollywood. I, I mentioned her. <laughs> I mentioned Whoopi. Um, but <laughs> but who, who used to live behind the Blake Street Hawkeyes? Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I became friends with Ellen and um, we started working together on some small projects and ultimately she said she wanted to start a theater company. And oh. she, that was with Jack Carpenter, who's a local lighting designer. He works at Cal now, but uh -huh. he was the tech director at Theater Artaud for years. And, oh. But anyway, um, Jack's great. He's an amazing, he's an amazing mm -hmm. designer. Um, and uh, a guy named Peter Marvalis, who was, had been a student of Ellen's at the Urban School, but he was a really wonderful sound designer. Oh. Um, so the, the four of us started this theater company, which was really doing more of these sort of experimental performance arty kinds of things that were going on then. That, yeah, that was, that was the era. That yeah. was the era, yeah. And, 
And it was a little bit different here from a lot of the other kinds of performance art things that were happening across the country because it was rooted in theater, whereas a lot of art that was coming up, like in New York, it was artists who were trying to incorporate performance into their artwork, which right. mostly I was not that impressed by because yeah. performances weren't very good. <laughs> but um, George Coates was the guy who really kind of elevated the whole concept of performance art for, for the Bay Area and the West Coast, really, I think. Um, and, uh, and I really loved his work. Um, and so, we produced some things around the Bay Area. I, uh, I was in Ellen's, the first show that she ever wrote and directed called Your Place is No Longer With Us, which uh-huh. place in a Victorian house. Huh. The audience moved around the house as, uh, uh, as the, the play progressed and then ended up in the kitchen and had a meal and that had been cooking and you could smell it all the way. Wow, <clears throat> really cool. You can only have... No, I'm sorry. Go, sorry. go ahead, Jan. I did have a question for you, but I'll let you go ahead. Well, you can only have like 15 people, you know, because... The, right, because you got to fit them in the house. <laughs> yeah, in order to accommodate that. And, we, and so we did it in um, Berkeley, and then we found a house, uh, an old Victorian in San Francisco that was donated to us for it as well. And it was very successful, which was nice. I'm sorry, what were you going to ask? No, I was going to say, no, that's fantastic, that experimental theater. I was, I think the very, very first company that I did stage managing or did any sort of, you know, paid theater work, they did Alice in Wonderland and it was sort of done in a museum and everyone, each scene was done in a a certain area within the, the, uh, the, this museum area. So it was very Uh much into the experimental theater. The question I had for you, you know, Norman and I, we've had a couple of guests on and we've talked about the merits of going to school and sort of the the academia of teaching theater as opposed to what you were just saying, like Gene Shelton just said, hey, listen, beats and objectives, you have an objective, you want to, I don't know, find love with Jim, or let's say you have an objective to get the money or something. It's very, very simple. It's very straightforward. Do you think that it's an, an, an indictment to the academia of school? I mean, do you have any thoughts about should someone <laughs> sure go do. to theater, should someone go to theater school or should someone just go out and just work? Um, do you have any pros and cons about it? I, I'm not sure I have pros and cons, but I did both. Because ultimately what happened was when I was in my early 30s, um, I had gotten a corporate job and was kind of being Peter principled up the ladders. And I was doing a show at the time, um, this amazing show called Dear Rose, which... Oh, right. Yes. Which ended up being reproduced and moved from a small theater to, to a theater our toe and then to... Theater on the Square, which is the theater that is now SF Playhouse, but it was yeah. when it was huge. It was before they sort of closed it down and made it a more intimate space. Um, and uh, I was doing eight performances a week while I was doing a managerial level corporate job. Uh-huh. And, and I just kind of knew that sooner or later something was going to come up. Like I was going to be asked to attend a conference and I was going to say, well, I'm doing this show. And they were going to say, you know, Jan, you're just going to have to make a decision about this. And right. I, I always, you know, I had always thought it's going to come to me when I decide this is really what I want to do for my career. I'm going to get to the answer to your question. Don't worry about it. No, this is important. Go ahead. Well, this, is, no, this I love this question. <laughs> You know, I was always like, okay, one day I'm going to figure out that it's really time to just go for it. And I had gotten to the place where I was like, that's bullshit. You know, unless you like really straight 
second bid, which, you know, one out of three million people that happens to, um, it, you just got to make a decision and jump sooner or later, you know, and it's, and, and it's, there's, you're never going to get clarity on that. You're always going to go, yeah, I guess maybe I better do it now. But when I've had this thought about having to make a decision, it just came to me in a flash. It was like, oh, well, I know what my decision's going to be, so I'm just going to do it right now. And uh, I gave myself six months um, in this job, which, in fact, I was promoted like two months after I made the decision. And I was uh -huh. like, Can I take this promotion? Yeah. Right. And I, so I, I, you know, saved up a bunch of money. And um, the next year I went to school in England. And what I wanted to do was get a conservatory training because I felt like, you know, I got a little sure. bit of that imposter syndrome going on where I don't really right. know that I can really say I know what I'm doing. Um, I had been taking voice classes and I've been taking acting classes and I've been doing all of these things individually, but I was like, I think it makes a difference if you can really, really, really concentrate and focus on it. And that's what you do and that's what you spend all of your time doing. So, um, so I, I auditioned for, and I, I had done a summer program, which was a Shakespeare program in London. And I, and, and I had also lived in London my, for a year while I was in college and I loved London. So um, I, I decided I wanted to try to get into school there and was lucky enough to get into a, a, what they called a postgraduate program, um, which was a, just a one year course. Uh -huh. um, and uh, and it was great. I mean, I, I actually don't feel like I learned anything per se that I hadn't heard or known before, but having that exposure and being in that kind of an environment 24-7, uh, I felt like really made a difference. Um, maybe it was just as in terms of the confidence that it gave me coming out of it to say, okay, yeah, no, I am, this, this is who I am, this is what I am, and, and, I, and I know how to do it. <laughs> Well, it sounds like yeah, a baby I always structure. Find, Go ahead. Yeah, I always find that to be, it's, it's a complicated question because, yes, you can get some benefit from it. Is the benefit you're getting what they're advertising, what they're telling you you're going to get for your money? And I find often it's not. It's funny, I have, I have a Facebook friend who has a school, or I'm not sure if his school is still going, but um, had a theater school, an acting school. And I had a roommate when I was in college who was in that studio and I kept coming home and saying, I am learning so much because I was, I was already doing theater when I went to San Francisco State. I started doing stuff on campus just to cut my commute down around because I was working and taking classes and doing shows. And I was like, well, if I do the shows on campus, that'll cut that triangle down a little bit. So I did. And my roommate kept telling me about how important the work he was doing. It's funny because I actually, I'm using his book right now. The book that they used in there, I can't really see that because of the lighting. Uh, Stanislavski, the Stanislavski system. The school swore by this as their Bible. And I read it and it was like, it's basically Stanislavski light. It was just, you know, this American distillation of what Stanislavski meant. He even did an extra year in their program because the guy was happy to take his money every month. Why not? Um, but then he got out and he did a real show and he would come home every night from rehearsal saying, oh my God, I'm learning so much. I'm like, dude, I've been telling you this for like three years. 
And I remember you, Jan, telling me a story once of a famous Bay Area teacher who basically told students, if you take my classes, you will never get cast in my theater company. And I'm like, then why would I ever take, what are you possibly teaching that is worth me never getting to work in one of the biggest theaters in the Bay Area? Well, yeah, yeah, no, he did say that. And then um, a few months later, he said that he was interested in having me understudy for a production they were doing there. So I think, I think the idea was that he was telling people, don't take my class because you think that it's going to give you a step up. So, you know, I, but, I, but I hear what you're saying. But yeah, it's comp it's just so complicated. So you guys got a theater up and running, even though it was site specific, you didn't have a home so much? No, it was a company and it was site specific and we did a couple of shows. Um I, I actually did a show we did a show called Choice, which was done at a very, 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 very old uh, uh, space that run, run by the intersection theater that was in North Beach. This is like oh. Five generations back or right. something like that um, and it was supposed to take place in an art gallery um, oh. and there were two kids in the show and one of them was um, Sam Hurwitt uh -huh. <laughs> who was like 12 or 13 at the time and the other was Whoopi Goldberg's daughter so, <laughs> wow that's funny yeah that was that was way back um, so uh, oh oh but you know what the other thing I wanted to say about about school is the thing about like when you're trying to do theater in, um, especially in, in anywhere that's not like New York, uh, the, ch the work that you get usually is kind of few and far between. It's, you know, we, we're all struggling to get into, you know, there's a small number of theaters, as many as there are in the Bay Area. Right. Uh, and there's a whole lot of people who are trying to get jobs. And there is nothing that teaches you how to act better than acting. I mean, right. working, working is how you learn. And if you don't have an opportunity to be working consistently, then it's really hard. And that is something that I think a training program can do for you. It just gives you an opportunity. It's kind of like dancers taking class. It just gives you an opportunity mm -hmm. to keep your chops up. And I think that's meaningful. Yeah, I'm definitely loving all the reading programs and things that are around now similarly because it's a quick commitment but you learn. I feel like I do. I do shots, shots SF about even now, maybe once or twice a year. And every time I do it, I find myself walking out of it going, I should have done this. Oh, you know, the next time I perch a role, I'm going to do this differently. I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always finding that you get in front of an audience and you go, okay, that worked. And that, that didn't. <laughs> I did a quick, I did have another quick question. So you're describing the Bay Area, the theater scene in the 70s and in the 80s. Uh, do you find that a, a lot has changed? I mean, has the acting changed? I'm sure there are theater companies that, you know, are not around anymore. But um, what do you think, what do you think the, uh, the difference is between theater when you first came to the Bay Area and now? I, I don't know that it's significantly different. I mean, you know, there's a lot of small theater and um, and they, I think most theater companies start the same way. It's how Central Work started. It's a bunch of young people sitting around going, well, you know, if I ran my own theater, I would do it this way. Right. And in fact, that's how Central Work started. It was a bunch of people who had uh, met at Cal what was then Berkeley Shakes. Right. Uh, and uh, we 
we would sit around complaining about how, you know, all the big theaters in the Bay Area didn't appreciate us. And, you know, it was kind of sour grapes thing, but, and, you know, if only we could show them. And so then we decided, okay, let's do it. And I remember this was Soren Oliver was the original artistic director at Central Works, who was Barbara Oliver's son. Who right. <laughs> the founder of the Aurora, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of the founder of the Aurora Theater. And then we actually started our company about six months before Aurora did. Oh, uh, that's funny. Strangely, yeah. Uh, but um, we, the, the idea was simply um, really to be able to showcase ourselves because we figured, you know, if we can't get work unless our work is seen. And right. so we're going to create a, a, an opportunity for us to be seen. And, um, and I think a whole lot of small theater companies start that way. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, in LA, they have a whole, it's a showcase uh, agreement with equity, right. which is the whole idea. And, and in New York, they do that as well. The whole idea is we know you're gonna do this. So we're gonna, we're gonna create, uh, car carve out, you know, a non-union contract, even though you're union so that, you, so that you'll be able to do it. Right. Um, so, so that that so that that was that was 1990. That was the fall of 1990. Was was when I we started Central Works, and that was I had done Berkeley Shakes, and then the the summer before I went to England for a year, and then I came back and was kind of hanging out with these people whom I'd met and was friends with there, uh, and they said they wanted to start a theater company and I've done it, you know, in fact, what, what ended up happening with, uh, was called Tella Productions was Ella, Ellen Sebastian's company. Um, uh -huh. she, she decided to start a theater at Fort Mason called Life right. on the Water. Yeah. The Bay, um, Life on the Water. Life on the Water. Right. Life on the Water. Yeah. Which was her, in the Bayside theater. Yeah. In the, in the Bayside theater. Yeah. yeah. That was her. It was, uh, Joe Lambert, it was Bill Talon. Yeah. And I think Lenny was involved in the beginning, Leonard Pitt. Maybe. I, they, they didn't seem like they held together very long. No, actually, they were, it, was, it held together about 10 years. But they were a producing organization. Right. They, they, you know, the, the idea was to create a space. They brought in a lot of touring things. They did some stuff for themselves as well. But Yeah, I think I, I saw Marisol there. Um, yeah. And just... Fell in um, love with the theater and the and the idea of the company. The, the uh, and and both Jack Carpenter at the time was the the uh, technical director at Arto, mm -hmm. and I was kind of like the producing director maybe of our company, and um, I, and and so we were invited to to participate in that, and I just thought to myself, well, that's just going to make me a producer for life, and I really want to be able to do more of my artistic stuff. Right. Um, and I remember talking to Jack about it, and he was like, yeah, I already got a job that's, you know, <laughs> killing me, technically. I, I, I'll just be working for less money. I don't think it's a good move for me either. So mm -hmm. we, we dissolved our company and moved into di different directions. But when Soren and his friends started talking about um, starting a company, I was like, you guys are crazy. You don't, you right. don't understand. It's really hard. You don't want to do this. And then... Um, next thing I heard, they were really going to try and do it, and they had an idea of something they wanted to produce, and 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 I said, big sigh, okay, I'll help. Right. <laughs> and so uh, it was Soren and 
um, a guy named D. Lance Marsh, who now lives in the Midwest and teaches at mm -hmm. a school out there, um, and a woman named Denise Santisteban. Did you ever know her? I don't think so, no. She was a, she was a, a stage manager. She was a union stage manager, but she really wanted to learn more about producing, so that was why she was interested in getting involved. And wow. I, pardon me? I said, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we were like sort of the, the administrative core um, of a company, which we really wanted it to be actor driven, bringing in a whole bunch of actors who, you know, our friends, whom all, we all, we wanted to have an opportunity for everyone to get showcased and all of that. And so that, that was the start of uh, of central works yeah 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 it's funny when we had gary graves on uh and it's amazing i think it was uh not, maybe two years ago i know i know we were so happy to have him uh he talked about the structure of central works it's very very different for well, those it who have it, it really morphed into something completely different yeah, where you actually construct plays almost from scratch, like, uh, you know, bring the playwright in, you bring the actors in, and before even a word is put on paper or, you know, on Word document, you talk about what's going on and you sort of build it as it goes on. And that's the concept that he talked about. Without, those were his words. What are your words? I mean, what, what does Central Works mean to you? Well, just to go back to the history a little bit, you know, the, the thing that we discovered was... Um, and, and I see a lot of companies doing this now. They, they call people members. And I always right. talk to them and I say, what does that mean? What, what do you get when you're a member? And they're like, right. nothing. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you get your name and you get, and it means that you get some sort of recognition when they're, they're trying to decide what they're doing in casting, I'm sure. But we, what happened with us was we felt like um, there's no way that you can promise you know, if, if you've got a company of 10 people, there's no way that you can make promises that you're going to be able to, to, to use them on a regular basis. Right. And, and we didn't think that it was fair to ask people to be making commitments to work in other ways in the theater company if we couldn't really, you know, if there wasn't a quid pro quo, there should be, right. I thought. Um, so, you know, the, 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 Part of it was that, and part of it was that, you know, only certain people do the work. When push comes to shove, there are the people right. who do the work, and there's the people who don't. And so there was a kind of attrition. But the other thing was that we, we started out wanting to do at least regional premieres, wanting to do some kind of new work, in part just because that's how you get reviewed. Right. You, know, you can't do the chestnuts and get the critics to come see you. So we were always looking for new work. Gary got involved about a year in. Um, to our life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Gary was a playwright. He's a playwright and director. And um, so we produced a play of his. And then when we were trying to figure out who we were and where we were, Soren had taken a leave of absence because he was touring or something. On right. Maybe may been Metamorphosis. There was something that was oh, taking Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something that it was taking him away. And uh, we were just trying to figure out who we were and what we were doing and what we were going to do next. And, um, and Gary said, you know, there's this company called the Joint Stock Theater Company. He had, Gary had been an AD for Mad Forest, by the, the Carol Churchill play that was produced yeah. by Berkeley Rep. Um, and he, he said, you know, there's this way that they work. 
which is everybody is involved in the development. They go out and they do their research. You know, that, 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 that's the model of joint, of what was the Joint Stock Theater Company. And um, I, and, and he said, you know, and I worked on that forest and I just thought it was really fascinating and that I, I'm really keen to, try, to give this a try. Well, as it turns out, when I lived in England, I had seen a bunch of work by Joint Stock, and I thought they were amazing. I loved it, so I really? so I latched on immediately. I was really gung ho. I said, "This sounds great to me," um, and so we developed a play. Samantha King wrote the first play. It was called Rue, uh, and it started out being um, a group of you know the, the the group of people who were involved thought up a theme, and the theme was women who kill. And then we just went out and we did a whole lot of research about who, you know, m women murderers. Yeah. Um, and Fun subject. <laughs> yeah, this was before the Eileen Warnos story had ever come out. But we, <laughs> but we read about it when, when the movie came out. It was like, oh, I remember that. Um, but the way that the, the method that we now use, which we call the central works method, which, you know, has morphed over the years, you know, you're, we're constantly honing and trying to figure yeah. out how to make it work better or more efficiently, um, is, uh, that ultimately the playwright is in control of the words. So, it, so you do all your research, you bring it in and whatever that sparks for the playwright, they go away and write a play. So she wrote a play called Rue. And Deb Fink and I acted in it. It was just a two-character play, mm -hmm. um, and that was, and Gary directed it, and that yeah. was our first uh, Central Works method play, and and it worked. We felt like it worked out very successfully for us. Um, it got some attention, but mostly it just seemed like it worked as a as a system. Mm -hmm. So we decided, because you spend all your time reading plays that you don't want to do, you know, if you, <laughs> rather right. than reading a whole lot of things that aren't really very interesting to you, um, let's just make our own. And we had a resident playwright built in, so, you know, that was great. We were, mm -hmm. and Samantha was a playwright as well, but Gary, but Gary was the one who was really, like, keen to make this happen. And Sam mm -hmm. actually was moving to New Orleans, where she still is. So, uh, mm -hmm. so, so, so that, yeah, that, that's, that's the idea and uh, what Central Works does, our, you know, our main mission is developing and producing new works and um, for, for the stage yeah. <laughs> an issue this year, obviously, but that's what we want to do is we, we want to do live theater and we want to create new works for live theater and we want to do it in a collaborative way where everybody has an artistic involvement and ownership of the project. And I can I can definitely speak to this. I mean this so I met Jan because Jan and this is something you haven't really addressed, but um all those little theater companies that people want to showcase themselves, really. That's that's where that initial impulse comes from. Don't necessarily look very far afield, but it felt like you were going all over the place and checking out work, seeing what people were doing. So I met you because you were coming to see thick description shows. Yeah. And we would hang out. So eventually, at some point, you asked me about being involved in a production, and we got to do Lottomania, which was just using that notion of the lottery, whatever that means. And so all the actors went, and we read all kinds of stuff. So, of course, we read the, uh, the short story, the lottery, um, all kinds of things about the lottery. You know, the lottery had just gotten established in California, and we were looking at what that meant. And it was exciting. That was when I first found out that you had a dance background. 
You actually had a character that we all had a little dance number that we all did. Our, our, our uh, pinball dance. Our little, yes, we were dancing with the balls. If you ever watch the lottery when they do the draw and the little balls, like bingo balls, they bounce out and the six numbers come out. We came out and did a whole dance routine with that. <laughs> but that was one where we started with no specific notion, just a theme, an idea. And everybody brought in what they did and we discussed it and then the playwright went away and worked on it and we gave feedback and then we developed it. The next thing I did though was the Inspector General. And that was taking a very specific play, a Russian classic, mm -hmm. which is literally a cast of dozens, <laughs> if you know, according to the script, the way the script looks, um, or a really facile group of clowns. I mean, I guess they could do it, but still you'd need more than a dozen people to try and make this show work. Because um, people are just in and out, and lines of people in and out. We did it with three actors. And so we took that original material, looked at where we were in the world, and started discussing how to make that happen. So it's been exciting to watch that process happen. And it isn't just the idea that's in your head or Gary's head. There is that collaborative element of this is who we're going to put on the stage. This is who else is in the room and they've got a voice. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's really interesting about that is that, um, you know, we, we've always been interested in social and political themes. Um, and as you start developing ideas, although we, we, it's not quite as free ranging now as it was then, because, you know, the part, one of the, the aspects of the way we work is there is a, an opening production date right to the project from the moment you go in and so what we learned is if, if 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 it's too broad if it's really just a theme it's sometimes really really hard to get it to a place where a playwright really feels like they can find their play right in that kind of a, a relatively tight time frame you know a lot of playwrights take years and years to write we we take something closer to six months usually um, sometimes a little more, sometimes sometimes a little bit less. Sometimes it's right. really scary. <laughs> um, but uh, but what's interesting is when you're exploring these ideas with everyone in the room, and there's usually you know eight or, six to ten people ultimately, because you've got director and playwright and actors and stage manager and our resident designer Greg Sharpin loves to yep. be involved in it. So Greg is excellent. Greg yeah, is really really good. Amazing. Um, I'm Tammy Berlin. That's right. But Tammy, but Tammy doesn't like. She doesn't usually participate in the in the workshop. In the workshop, yeah, right? right. She's not usually a workshop member. Right. She, um, this is true. <laughs> she ran her own company years ago, and she's had enough of it. <laughs> That's why she's just a designer now. She says. Um, but but what happens is that I think is really great and interesting is everyone tends to reach a consensus. You know, when you're when you're exploring like I say, social and political ideas. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes up, but ultimately everyone kind of finds consensus around some ideas. And, um, and so it, it's really kind of cool. It's, it goes back to that idea where everybody's really attached and has a certain level of ownership to the project, not just because they were in the room, but because we all believe in it in, you know, mm -hmm. in, in a bigger way. And so I think that's pretty cool. 
that's yeah. one of the you know that's the magic <laughs> yeah having, having been having been involved in mesmeric revelation i actually saw it in real time and i was like wow this is really like it's different between a home-cooked meal and going to a fast food restaurant usually when you're involved in the theater project the play is already set the director is set the playwright is set the actors are if you're hired as an actor and you're basically doing you know basically what you know, a lot of the preconceived ideas of what the play is all about and what you'll be doing has already been set. But with Central Works' way, being involved in it from the beginning to the end, you have an integral part in it. Um, if you're an actor and you're like, hey, wait a minute, that line doesn't sound right. Why, why, is, why, why would I do that? Or why would mm -hmm. I not do that? Or what's the purpose of this? Or why is this line here? You actually get, you know, involved in it and it forces the player to say, wow, okay, I really need to think about that. So right. by the time you're at the very, very end, you're absolutely right, Jan. Everyone is involved and everyone is bonded. Um, I had a question about business. I mean, because a lot of companies shy away from new works because it's like, well, I don't know if an audience member is going to see a new work or whatever, but Central Works, you guys have been doing it for 30 years and you have yeah. a built-in dedicated audience that loves oh, to see- A wonderful subscription base, yeah. Exactly. Can you talk about the business part of Central Works? Yeah, everything that we do is just the stupidest way to do the <laughs> but it but it works it totally works we do new works which you know if you don't people don't recognize a title they a lot of the time they won't come out we've got a 50 seat theater um it's tiny uh and uh we have a mission that says you know we want to be financially accessible we want to be affordable to everyone we do pay uh we do pay what you pay for camp performances once a week we do sliding scale every single night um, so, so basically all of that is, uh, is, is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> so business-wise, I, I can only say, um, I, somehow we've managed to make it work and, um, I'd like to take a little bit of credit for that, but, but it's, you should it's, take not a lot, really, yeah. it's not really the smartest way to do business. Do you do, do you have grants? Like, do you, do you, I don't know, 401k, are you a 401k company? We're a 501 c which is yeah. I think what you mean. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I, I, wish, I wish I, I wish were a 401 <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. Yeah, a nonprofit. Yeah, yeah we're, we're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. Absolutely. We rely a lot upon grants. Um, I've always taken a position, however, that um, it's very easy to get sucked into sucking on the tit of the, the, the founders, the funders, excuse me, which are, right. which, and it's very quixotic, you know, uh, foundations change their, uh, their visions and their attention. And right. you know, the, the every two or three years, on very, very frequently, which is, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not opposed to it. I mean, stuff comes up like right now, Social justice is where it's at everywhere. And, and, and that's a good thing. I mean, you know, that's, that's as it should be. But what that means is if you get really too attached to trying to find foundation money, um, you're gonna be scrambling all the time. And you also may find that you need to change your priorities a bit in order to make sure that you can become a good target for, for foundation money. Mm -hmm. um, if education is where it's at, you might say, oh, well, we need to start a little education program, which, you know, when you're a small organization like ours, 
that can take your energy away from the thing that you really want to be doing. So yes, we're absolutely dependent upon foundation money, but um, what we try to do is create sort of like a, a, a tripod, a little three-legged stool of money that we're making from ticket sales, foundation money, and then our individual donations. And we rely a lot on our donors because we are going out of our way to keep our ticket prices affordable. So. Um, we just like to, to presume that there's going to be some sort of appreciation for that from the people who can afford to give us a little more. Um, and we don't have any huge, you know, there's, there's no, you know, tens of thousands of dollars dropping down out of the sky. Uh, you don't, yeah, you don't have that big fat cat donor. <laughs> we really don't. Um, but we've got a very consistent base and we've got a few people who have been just remarkable in that they can give us a, a chunk of change on right. an annual basis and then we do production sponsorships we go out to some of those people who are um our larger donors and and say you know would you like to put your name on a specific production and um give you know x amount of money in order to support that so those are those are the things that that, that's sort of how we keep ourselves alive. And I, I can, feel good. I was just going to say, I was just going to throw in money wise, you also pay your actors and you pay your tech very, very well. Oh, yes. I want to give shouts out to Central Works for that. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, that's, you know, it's I, a pet, it's a pet peeve of us. <laughs> Go ahead. I remind, do, do you, you guys know Regina Evans, right? Yes, of course. Reggie, 52 Letters is the thing that she got a lot of attention for. She won the Fringe Festival. Yeah, yeah. She's doing a lot of costume design now. But her, her main focus now really is uh, getting, getting girls off the street, you know, anti-sex slavery. Uh, but, um, but she first moved to the Bay Area, and she sent me an email. I have no idea why, because she didn't do theater. But she sent me an email, and she said, I'm wondering if I can volunteer for your organization. And she came in. And, we had this interview and she's a wild person, you know, she, yes. she was like all over the place and talking about her history, which is talk about free really, spirits. Yeah. Yeah. Her history is kind of crazy. I mean, I'm sitting there listening to this going, huh, is this really true? Or is this woman just like, out? but she had a scrapbook with a whole bunch of newspaper clippings and things like that. So she was like, and magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she because she, she she lived in Australia and she ran this uh, this uh, like consignment store, not even consignment. It was used clothing store, right? Uh, period pieces, and she became like this uh, the, the 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 used clothing boutique to the stars. She had all these really really famous movie actors and things who were coming and buying her stuff. So I'm listening to this story from this woman who basically has said she has no money she just moved to the bay area she's living in a halfway house right. like, uh-huh but she, then she had the evidence to prove it so I'm like okay i believe you so she said so can i volunteer and help you guys out and i said well if you're really talking about making a commitment of time not just like coming one night and then going away we don't do volunteers we pay people mm -hmm. and i do feel that way i mean you know a lot of the time when we're doing grant proposals and things like that they say how many volunteers have you got in a year and i'm like i don't know maybe five they help us with mailings you know we we believe that time is worth money and we've always had a commitment to try to pay something that was as close as we could get uh to minimum wage and nowadays we pay a weekly salary to all our actors and stage right. managers which means if you're not called for rehearsal you're still going to get paid 
You know, it's, it's not like a clock in, clock out kind of thing. We, we, we absolutely believe in that. No, it's been fantastic. It's a, and it's a great way to segue. And I feel we're getting at time, but I want to ask, and I full disclosure, Jan and I have been talking about this thing that is going on in theater across the country now, talking about equity um, and BIPOC, this notion of finding some way to, and I don't think there's a better moment for it in this moment where theater has paused, is a good time to talk about how we're going to restart again. But um these notions like that, that you're going to pay everybody, um, that you're going to treat people with respect, that you're going to make space for difference, that you're going to recognize that not everybody comes from the same background or comes to this in the same way, and that you're going to try and find some way to honor that and respect it. Um, so it's been, I feel like, you know, I feel like in order to be responsible, we have to touch on this. But um, it's something that as we talked about it, I, I was saying, can you make sure that when you're making your statement, it says, and you told me, and I read your statement, this is stuff we will continue to do. I, I think, you know, it's important to recognize that while we take this moment to think about how we can be fair and how we can, you know, find a way to, um, to make up for those past injustices and current injustices, that you recognize what is already in place. You know, I feel like Central Works has been doing this work. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate the recognition of that. Uh, you know, we can all do better. We can all do way better. Um, Central Works is what you would call a white legacy theater company. You know, it's, like, it's, it's mostly been um, white folks in the leadership. And now it's Gary and me, which is clearly white folks in the leadership. Right. <laughs> um, and... Uh, we we uh, we are searching for ways that we can figure out how to make sure that there is you know something uh, of an equal opportunity for everyone in the community to come in. A lot of that has been more on stage than off, and so that's the area where we're trying to figure out how to how to bring uh, how to be more inclusive. Um, there's so the, the language right now is like. You know, try, you, and every time you adopt a new kind of phrase that's coming, right. somebody is saying, no, 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 you can't say that. Right. No, you told me <laughs> diversity. I was saying diversity, and you were like, yeah, we, we can't use that word. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and that's okay. You know, I'm just, I, I learn as I go, but I, I come up upon phrases that I've been accustomed to using, and I'm like, mm, is that okay? Am I, or is that weird now? <laughs> I, I had a meeting yesterday discussing this very thing, and and we had things that came up. Somebody said, somebody used the phrase, I think it was um, just of color or something like that. And boy, the conversation had to stop and correct. And to their credit, the people being addressed were saying, thank you and help me correct my language. Because I'll say when I heard that, I was pissed at first. Diversity is the word, you know, as an example, diversity is a word. I have known and appreciated what it was intended to do. But I see how a new generation is looking at that and going, that's the same bullshit I've been hearing my whole life. Because it literally has been in place. If you're under 30, this is a term that has been in place for 30 years or more. And look how little we've accomplished. So let's lose that term and that umbrella and let's find new ways to talk about it. I'm trying. I'm trying to uh, to use the word representative. That's. I don't know if that's like in vogue now or whatever. Yeah. I don't know where I came up with it, but that is the word that that 
for some reason, I, I always come up on it. I'm like, R word, R word. You know, I'm over 60. What, what the hell is that R word? <laughs> but representative of, you know, what our community is, is I think the, where we're trying to get. No, and I, and I feel like in the conversation you, have, you and I have had, um, there's a lot of this that is just questions. A lot of this that is, wow, that sounds like a good idea. How are we going to accomplish it? And it actually came up in the conversation yesterday. You cannot expect every little theater company to, for, existent, for example, have a bi-weekly meeting for folks to sort of unpack this stuff you can't expect every company to do it because if I work with five companies a year, I'm not, I'm not going to five meetings every other week. So there's going to have to be some way where this is a shared responsibility and hopefully a, um, an awareness that becomes throughout the community. You know, answering these questions is not simple. <laughs> no, it's not. And I, you know, I was in a, a meeting of artistic directors of companies across the the spectrum in the Bay, in the Bay Area the, uh, the other day, and there was a lot of discussion about doing um, anti-racist training. And yes. how, what we're gonna do is the first rehearsal, we're gonna spend right. four hours doing anti-racist training for every production. And, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm not opposed in concept, but time is so tight, you know? Right. When you're a company that only has 20 hours a week, <laughs> for four weeks to put up a whole right. production and you're you're gonna do that at the first rehearsal and those are people who like you say are working all over the bay area right and are which so, means and, they're already going through this whole process someplace yeah. else so so uh, you know it's like it's an interesting idea but if you really figure out how to do it practicably i'm not sure that that makes sense uh, right so, it's, so it's a, there's a lot of trial and error. But it's funny you say, now that we're in this place where we're not doing anything, because, you know, small organizations like mine, I'm a little busy right now. Just yeah. No, tell us, tell us. Alive. <laughs> the idea that we're not doing anything right now is a little, yeah. <laughs> well, no, and this is usually where we do finish with this is to say, you know, what's going on now and what do you see as the future? <laughs> I mean, Reg, you might have a better way of putting it. No, no, you said it just right. You know, what do you think the future is for Central Works? But also for you. I mean, are you – I feel that you're married to Central Works. I mean, it's a perfect – it's wonderful when you have a company that just feels right, right to you. Uh, <laughs> but um, do you see yourself with Central Works, or where do you see yourself in Central Works in, I don't know, five or ten years? Love it. I don't know if I see myself anywhere in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, Jamaica. I, I don't. Well, let's start with the fact that I am a white woman in my 60s. <laughs> so if I want to have a career in theater outside of Central Works, you know, the pickings get pretty slim up here. Right. <laughs> so just practically, I'm not I'm not sure that even if I wanted to, that 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 that. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what I could do. I still can work outside of the company. I don't get a lot of offers. I, I would like to think that's mostly because people think I'm too busy, and I probably am, but I've done a, a few little things here and there over the years. Um, I, uh, so I, I can't 
see leaving the company. I don't, whether or not the company is going to survive that long, I don't know. Um, leaving the company until I sort of make a choice to retire. Uh, but I, but I, but that doesn't mean that we're not interested in saying, in, in putting in a succession plan and having people in place who might be able to take over. Phew, some of the responsibility, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the company, you know, I don't know. What, what the hell? We've got a 50-seat theater. I was saying to Reg before we started the recording. You know, we've got a 50-seat theater that has a configuration where you've got two rows of seats around three sides of a very, very, very small uh, playing area. Playing that, space, yeah. And the virtue of our company and has made it really unique is how incredibly intimate it is. How you are inches away from the actors when you're in the audience. How you really get the sense of what... Uh, yep. that, that, that relationship with what's going on in, on stage is and what makes, to me, live performance so magical. It's the thing right. I love. And, you know, that's why I've done this all my life is I just feed off of that mm -hmm. wonderful energy that you get. Um, so it's very clear that even if, you know, there's a lot of companies that are saying, we think we're going to be opening up in the spring, you know, with under certain circumstances. I don't think that we can make that claim at all. There's no, you know, we can't financially, we can't do it unless we're at least like two thirds full, which puts people really close together, really close to the actors. You know, the actors can't get far enough. Right. You know, you, you couldn't get a dozen people in that space. You can't get more than two actors on stage yeah. with social distancing. And then they're too close to the audience. So right, right, right. <laughs> unless we're doing solo shows with five people in the house, I don't see yeah. how we can make that work. Um, so it's going to be a while before we're going to be able to do anything on stage, which is what we really want to be doing. We're finding alternatives, but, um, we don't really like what zoom streaming has to offer. I feel like it's really making do, um, and it's not, it doesn't feel like live performance to me because right. as an audience member, I'm still looking at a screen. So, um, we're not really into the live thing. We're playing with, you're doing the radio thing. Yeah, we're playing with audio plays. And, and, you know, what's interesting about that is if you think about our work, we, we are focused on words and acting. We try to keep the production value super, super, super minimal. Mm -hmm. um, and because we really want, it's, it's all about saying whether or not this new play works. You know, it's not right. a concept. And a lot of directors don't really have that much interest in working with us because what do you do? You know, it's not, they, they can't like put their fingerprints on it in the same way that you can do. Uh, and I'm not dissing other theater companies, you know, big productions are cool, but it's just, that's, that's not where our focus is. Uh, but what you find with audio uh, plays is that the audience member then is focused on the words and the acting. So right. it's not really that different. And it does help us to figure out at whether or not the script works, although what we're learning also is that it's really got to be a script that is intended to be done that way. Cause yeah. you, you know, it's, you can, you can make, you know, certain accommodations for something that was intended yeah. to be staged, but. And, and it also, yeah, it also helps to have a fantastic sound designer, Greg Sharpin, who is also, he, he's a performer himself. He showed me, a, he had a CD of music. I think he was a music producer. Oh yeah. Back in the he day. He does a lot of experimental music. Yeah. yeah no. He actually tours. He, he's, he's yeah. International. Yeah. He's yeah. performed in Europe and stuff as Karnacki. That's his, that's his. Right. Name. Yeah. I want to get him on. I want to get him on the A because he's, he's amazing. Oh, that's great. 
No, and I feel bad. I, there's so much else I want to talk about, like the acting thing. Oh my God, Central Works should really offer a workshop every year in the specifics of this intimate style of acting. It is incredible. And it teaches, I every actor I've seen who embraces it ends up learning something and is brilliant. And every actor who resists it very quickly finds out that there is no, there's a very small window of space, literally, that you can work in. But do you guys have the piece that's up now? Is that is that still available? Do we have? I'm sorry, what? The audio play. Oh yeah, no, we've got a we've got a few things going. We've got Bystanders, which is a play by our resident playwright Patricia Melton, who's wonderful. Oh yeah. Uh, that's streaming, and theoretically, it's going to be until the 24th. But we probably will just keep it going because I can't think of any good reason not to. We've Yay. Got, we've got a, another audio play that we're going to be putting up on. It's going to start on Thanksgiving Day, which is the Human Ounce which is the play that we were doing on stage when we had to shut it down. Oh, right. Um, so it actually lends itself quite well, even though it takes place in an art gallery. Is that the one with Kimberly? Is that the one with Kimberly? Yeah, Kim and Champagne Hughes and Don Wood, who are Damn! fabulous. Yeah, really, really good. And again, um, something else I would love, that I wish we had more time to talk about, because I just, you know, there are tiers of theater, and to know that there is a theater company that really pays attention to who this spectrum, this talent pool that we have is, and is able to give these people wonderful opportunities to showcase themselves. There are just not enough companies doing that. So on the positive side, that means that's a special niche that Central Works fills. You know, there's one what? more thing I'd like to say. I know you, that we're running out of time, but, you know, we didn't actually talk about me as a director, which is fine. <laughs> Even I just know this, I know, is, your, I, I know. this is your but director's I, I, thing. <laughs> I, I, I wanted you in for the Bay Area Director's Summit, but I, I also feel like the choices that are you make as a producer are so much a part of, of that whole conversation. Well, the one thing I want to say about directing is the biggest lesson that I've ever learned, uh, which sort of ties into what you were saying, Norman, is mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole lot of people who think that directing is all about being in charge, being in control of everything. And what I have learned is directing is all about letting go, because it doesn't matter how many times you say you want it like this. It's going to be whatever it is. People are going to do what they do, how they do it. And what you need to do is find their strengths and figure out how to make to, to, to highlight that right um, but so I, I feel like that's a part of like the whole uh, the method of how we work with people in the space <laughs> you know it's, you know it's interesting jan uh we had richard harder on who also learned from gene sheldon i don't know if you know who richard harder is i do know i'm sure i know him well yeah and uh, he mentioned the same thing as far as directing usually his style of directing is he allows the actors to do whatever they want to do especially when it comes to blocking and then he'll make the decision or rather the actors or, you know, collaboratively a decision will be made. Okay, this feels right. Let's lock this in. And it's so different from other directors who usually go here, move here, cross here. Okay, now write that down. You know, it's different between being in control and allowing the actors to sort of do and find their, um, mm -hmm. find the discoveries on its own. So I think there's sort of a Gene Shelton connection there. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. And I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, Linda Ayers Fredrick, who runs the... Yes. Or yeah, the Phoenix, which yeah. Is, which is where, you know, uh, what are they called? Uh, Richard's... Richard's oh, Off-Broadway West? You know, Off-Broadway West, West, thank you. Yeah, yeah right. they, we use, use the Phoenix Theater. Um, right. L Linda, Linda was big. Um, uh, Gene Shelton 
uh, alum as well. Oh, oh wow! No, I didn't yeah. know that. Yay! No, I get to work with her now. We do uh, standardized patient work together. Oh, oh is that right, Linda? Wow, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> and she just had a birthday a couple of weeks ago, I think. Yeah, I think we oh. gave her a shout out. We did. Speaking oh, of, speaking of, let's let's do it. Shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Um, Allison Luderman is a playwright, local playwright. Um, her birthday is today, I think. Actually, All no, right. I don't think I had any for today. What is it? Nineteenth. I did one of her plays, The Chain. Ah. Um, William J. Brown the Third. Boy, that's a lot of name. Um, runs a company that was called the Arabian Shakespeare Company, and I believe they are now called Perspective. Um, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to see what they do next. They've they've been exciting anyway. He uh, he was my Hamlet when I did Hamlet with him. Uh, he directed uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, which I got to do last fall, which I was doing like a year ago at this time. Um, Alan Quismorio, who is on, I have to give you. I'm Reg. I'm so looking forward to giving you a list of people that I've talked to about this Bay Area Director Summit, and saying these are people we didn't get on. <laughs> But they're interested. Alan is. His birthday's yeah. in three days. Um, wonderful actor, director. And I think he was the artistic director of... Bendelstiff. 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 But I think also, I can't remember. I think it was Rhino for a minute. I think he was an interim. Um, Jennifer LeBlanc, who was my uh, Oberon in Midsummer Night's Dream last... To my Titania... Midsummer Night's Dream last year. That was very strange. Jessica Richards, who I met when she was sort of interning at Cal Shakes, and now she is a big theater poison. Uh, Cliff Mayotte, who I went to college with, um, San Francisco State, started Harvest Theater Company. The show that I just most recently did, um, The Hamlet's Ghost, um, was written by and starred Neva Hutchinson. Cliff, I met her through Cliff and his company when we did uh, Ibsen play long time ago. Uh, Rachel Baker, who I got to work with on Hamlet. Uh, she played uh, the Queen. Thomas Simpson. And now my computer is freezing up. Don't do that. Uh, Thomas Simpson, who runs Afro Solo, the Afro Solo Performance Festival, which started off as just a solo performance festival and has grown to include art galleries and jazz and readings um, and he was one of the first people to ever pay me to direct a show. Yay! And I think that's all I've got. Okay, my list. Uh, let's see. Along with uh, Allison Luderman, who you mentioned, uh, who directed me in uh, uh, Musical Cafe, The Chain. She was the lyricist, and there was someone else who uh, wrote the music. Also, Christian Epps. Now, Christian Epps, I'm always talking about my ties with Duke Ellington School of the Arts, right. the school that I graduated from. He was our tech guy, and he was a... He was, he was more than just our tech guy who taught us technical theater and building flats and all that sort of stuff, but he was... A sort of a black guy at a time in the 80s where we sort of needed I, I also failed to mention it was the 25th anniversary of the million man march and we didn't talk about that but oh gosh yes <laughs> i love the post that was beautiful yeah i had a little posting of that but he was a sort of a black guy who's a role model that us young black boys sort of looked up and said hey that's someone who we want to follow because he was just very graceful and he was you know he didn't have all of the testosterone that a lot of men us men 
uh, get blamed for, you know, when it comes to the Me Too movement and all that. Toxic sort of masculinity. Yes. Exactly. He was very much adverse to that, but uh, really gave us some structure and some guidance. And he was just a fantastic teacher. So I want to give him praise. His birthday is tomorrow. Also tomorrow, Lauren Hayes. She is a local actress. Um, I saw her in, oh, we were in Skin of Our Teeth. And uh, ah. that was on the Douglas Morrison Theater. And mm -hmm. she is one of those young, young actresses who just came out of school. I can tell it's just, it's, she's like a young version of um, Kim. Um, not Kim, Kim Donovan? Kim Donovan, yeah. Yeah, she reminds me a lot of that. I mean, she's just, oh. she has a great presence about her. Uh. You mentioned Alan Q, also another uh, ex Bendel stiffer, Susanna Yu. She was a ah. technical person and also an actress, and she's now in New York. She has a family in New York. I have no idea oh. if she's still involved in theater, but I want to give praise to her. Also on Tuesday, Jeremy Sawyer, uh, we did The Marriage of Bet and Boo by Christopher Durang a long time ago, and back in 2001. And he was the lead actor, and he was just amazing. We had a lot of fun. It was a wonderful slapstick sort of dark comedy and uh, he was fantastic i have no idea where jeremy is but well, i have in my feed uh alia lay i've never worked with her but she's in my feed and she's a sag after actress hmm. happy happy birthday alia uh wednesday isaiah dufort he is an uh, uh writer he was an ex eastender he wrote plays oh, yeah. and uh he, he was on the a and he's teaching film mm -hmm. um I think at the um, San Francisco State College. So uh, give him a praise. Also on Saturday, uh, Marla Cox, and we've had her on the A. She was, I wrote a little mini musical called Nia, and she was my Nia. Right. Although she was 51 years old, you know, she played a teenager and she did a fantastic job and yeah. amazing voice. And you remember her, the uh, interview that we did, you know, she talked all about. Uh, being in the army and having to deal with racism and sexism, you know, in the armed forces oh. and so mm -hmm. proud of her son. And she's doing some really, really great work. She's worked with the Lorraine Hansberry theater and Ooh. really, really strong black woman, great singer. Um, and so her birthday is Saturday. And the last person I have on my list, Matthew Quarles, we call him Matty Q. He is a tech guy. He was our stage manager when we did women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And uh, okay. so we had gunplay uh, when we did the show. It's at the Town Hall Theater. This was a year ago? Yes, a year yeah, ago. Yeah, it's about a year ago, yeah. About a year ago. And he was very, very on point as far as, of course, we weren't dealing with real live ammunition or even a blank. As a matter of fact, the gun didn't even fire. But okay. he was still very, very careful about basically, you know, not, ho not allowing us actors to play with the gun. Just real, real disciplined in Thank dealing with goodness. stage managing. So I wanted to give him praise. And that is it. That's my list. That's uh, your birthdays? Yep. Shows? I have no shows. Jan, you have any birthdays or shows? Any shout outs? Uh, gosh, I, 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 can't, I can't think of any right well, now. Well, Rich, do you have any shows? We come I, back. I do. Well, uh, okay. So at... Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Central, yes. Well, of course, of course, you know, we'll talk about Playground, but Central Works has bystanders and audio play that has been extended over and over and over again. And you can still we'll have the link so you can click on that so you can see the show. Also, I believe Central Works has a partnership with uh, other theater companies with I can't, it can't happen here. Um, oh, really? Yeah. By Tony Tacone and Bennett Cohen, adapted from the novel by Sinclair Lewis, sound designed by Paul James Pendergast. I'm reading. I'm on. I'm on the Central Works website right here. Sure. <laughs> ah. 
it's an audio play that they created that they part based on the, the stage play that they that, that the rep did a number of years ago and right. it's, it's supposed to be to get out the vote it streams now and oh great you can get it through our website or the berkeley rep but there's a hundred different companies nationally that that, have that are doing it kind of, yeah kind of signed on to be partners <laughs> um and it's going to go through november 8th and the whole idea is to listen to what could in fact happen and has been happening here and it has been yes an incentive to get you out <laughs> absolutely so i'll have links to that you can look on central works to find out more information on that speaking of get out the vote so we're doing monday night playground norman you have a show that you're directing and i, I have a play that i've submitted on monday uh the the uh, theme is suffrage october the 19th and we'll have a link so that you can uh purchase a ticket uh also um, the Private Lives of the Not-So-Master Race. I'm in part of a group called The Breck Project. Me, Christine Urin, and um, Scott Munson. And I've been ignoring this, uh, the woman who is also holding up a second. <laughs> the other playwright? Yeah, the other playwright. And I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going, I'm going to actually... I saw the list. I was like... Denmo. Denmo yeah. Ibrahim. Oh, Denmo. Denmo Ibrahim. Yeah, exactly. All right, Denmo. <laughs> you guys know her. Okay, I met her yeah, only... Yeah, I went to uh, school with her. Wow, small world. See there? Emma's <laughs> great. She's terrific. Yeah, so uh, so the Breck Project, we're very, very proud of that. That will be October the 27th through the 29th. Um, and we have, we'll have a link to that as well. I'm very, very happy to be doing that. And of course, all of this is about getting out the vote. We're talking about what life has been in the Trump administration and you know, the only way to change it is to vote and to be active. And uh, so you know, these are the Zoom performances that you can see. Also, uh, Aurora Theater is doing The Flats. It's an audio drama. They're releasing three episodes one week apart beginning October the 23rd. Our good friend Kari Moy is in that. So I wanted to give a shout out to that. Yay, Kari. Also, yeah, Kari. Tabard Theater is doing a, um, a play called Trying, and it'll open November the 6th. Uh, with their three camera thing, huh? Yeah, I think so. And uh, Melissa Mambuis, we've had her on the show. She is in it. Yep. So I wanted to give her a shout out. And that's all that I have. Okay, Jen, did you regard, find any you like? With regard to suffrage, I just wanted to add um, that Central Works is doing something called the Central Works Script Club, where you can download the script of shows that we've produced before. And um, then there's an, an interview with Patricia Milton that, um, that, that, you can send in your questions and, and there's a, a whole discussion. And the current script club interview that's up is um, Susan Soboloff and Patricia talking about her play Strange Ladies, which we produced in 2017, which is um, about the suffrage movement as well. Yay. Right on, right on. Jan, did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, it was it was way easier than I anticipated. <laughs> See, we're almost easy. Forgot, I almost forgot that I was on camera. <laughs> there, there you go. And you know, we were we were talking off mic that uh, honestly, I prefer it. You know, sort of in studio or in my little studio thing. But you know, because of COVID nineteen, we have to do this because it's hard to control the audio with you know with it being online and not a lot of folks like to see ourselves on camera and all that sort of stuff. So we're mm -hmm. thank you, thank you so much for participating and. Wow, so much great stories. I mean, you know, it, it, that's, I love yeah. it when we have a long episode because we get to hear all these, you know, wonderful stories or whatever. And Just as always, you get old people. <laughs> <laughs> Not that old. You don't, trust me, you don't look a day over, I would say 50. 
but uh, yeah. the other direction. <laughs> thank you and thanks for inviting me i really appreciate it yeah and, and of course thank you for supporting the yay i mean we're trying to get other folks to sponsor it and it came as a surprise when you know gary i think it was uh you know i agree between you and him to sponsor the yay and so uh, you know we can't thank you enough well, it's great for us too i mean i, I it's there when i look back at the history and saw how many people, I mean, you know, we, we, we don't have a company per se. We're always looking for people in the community, but there are so many people that you've interviewed who are people who've worked with, uh, with Central Work. So it's, oh, I know. It's, it's always fun. It's a great fit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's fantastic. So thank you so much. All right, it's time for us to get out of here. Let me do my little blurb. You're probably watching this on YouTube. If you are, like, subscribe. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. And we'll make the fixes and adjustments and all that sort of stuff and give us comments. Uh, if you're listening to this traditionally on the podcast app, you can listen to us on any podcast app. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on the little purple podcast app that you listen to your uh, podcasts. If you're if you have a iOS device, including that iPhone 12, which I think is 12, a thousand. Oh. I think they're on 12 now. I think it's a thousand dollars. I don't know why you would buy a thousand dollar phone, but, you know, folks are doing it. Anyway, if you're an Android user, you can go on the sound, you can download the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. The A was created by. That's right. That's right. You can listen to us on Central Works. We have the feed there. I've keep oh, on that's right. <laughs> uh, the A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. I'm at Red Space Clay. I'm at Who's Your Hoosier? Jan, do you have any social media that people can directly contact you? Well, not me personally. I don't do social media. Thankfully, uh, Patricia Milton does for Central Works. So we've got centralworks.org. We've got at Central Works. We've got, we're, we're, we're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. So uh, definitely search us out. Right on. All righty. Uh, let's have a wonderful uh, weekend. It's a beautiful weekend out here. And uh, as Norman and I always say, We've got to find a better sign-off. And folks, vote, vote, vote. Thank you. Thank you.